Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. Good evening, Jundo. Welcome back. This is episode number seven. How are you this evening? I am lovely. I have people after me with torches. Why? And, what did you uh, do now, Jundo? Well, you know, we're going to talk about that today, but uh, okay. apparently I've uh, offended the deeply religious. Okay. Well, let's start with a very simple question, and I think yeah. we touched on this in an earlier episode, but this would be a good lead-in to the questions that we're going to discuss afterwards. Yeah. Is Zen a religion? Well, you know, that depends how you look at it. It's, uh, according to my teacher, Nishijima, any religion is something that you believe deeply in about who and what we are in the universe, and then we act upon it. So even atheists, if they're deeply committed to their belief in atheism or the fact that uh, there is no God, that is their belief about who and what we are in relation to the universe. And if they live and act upon it, it is a religion. So in that case, Zen is religion. But it's also, you could say, just a philosophy. It's also a school of uh, psychology about why human beings suffer. So it's many things. I'm not sure I agree with what you said about atheists, but that would take us off on a tangent where we don't want to go today. So here's a real question that you've kind of been discussing online and people have been coming after you with torches and pitchforks. Right. It's, it's a pretty simple question. Uh, unfortunately, it raises a lot of hackles. Can Christians, Jews, Muslims, and people from other religions practice Zen and Buddhism? I think so. Many Buddhist teachers think so. And many other Buddhists definitely do not think so. And uh, never the twain shall meet. But the reason I think so is Zen is about the universe, reality, and it doesn't matter what you call it. We see a great wholeness. We see a great beauty, uh, something that's beyond time that sweeps in all reality. Now, some people might want to call that God. Some people might want to call that Stanley. Some people might want to call that the universe or Buddha. It doesn't really matter. You know, we drop all names and then we sit, Zazen, knowing that we are this. So yes, if you want to call it God and you want to say, uh, take a Christian turn on, on it, no problem. You can still practice Zen and Buddhism, as far as I'm concerned. Isn't what you're describing a sort of pantheism? the belief that everything is the God? Well, not really, because we don't even want to think of it as a, a great thing. It's just kind of a, a great dance, a flowing, uh, you might call it the Tao, you might uh, say it's just the great wholeness of all things. Uh, it doesn't mean that everything is a God, but... 
On the other hand, if you want to say that, just say, let me, let me, t- let me, let me explain this to you. If you practice Zen and it's raining outside, you can still practice Zen, right, Kirk? You can, you'll just get wet. Right. And if it's sunny outside, you can still practice Zen, right, Kirk? If you put on your sunscreen, yes. Right. So as far as I'm concerned, if there is a God or there is no God, you can still practice Zen because we practice with whatever is. It doesn't matter if you want to say it's pantheism or not pantheism. We throw all that out. Throw all that. Stanley, Buddha, God, throw all those names out. And just I want to meet sit. the Stanley guy. Is he the one who makes the power tools? Oh, Stanleyism. It's uh, the new uh, the religion. You never heard of Stanleyism? It's right no. up there. It's it's about number religion number two thousand sixty three on the list. But it's okay. Uh, you said something interesting about the Tao, and this kind of separates Zen from Indian origin Buddhism, doesn't it? The fact that Buddhism went through China, merged with Taoism, and that Zen is sort of that flavor of Buddhism. Uh, originally in India, there was the belief in the god Brahma that you might say is all things. And, you know, the funny thing about Buddhism is people think the Buddha rejected Brahma. That's not exactly true. Buddha did, and the, the later Buddhists did two things about Brahma. You might say that the Buddha just sidestepped the whole issue. He never clearly said, there is no Brahma. It was more that he said, you can practice our path, whether there is a Brahma or there is not a, a Brahma. I don't want to address it, but do not just get lost in thinking that we're merging with Brahma. Drop all idea of Brahma and we can practice. That's the first thing. And the other thing is he kept Brahma. He just said uh, Brahma is kind of, uh, you know, he wanted to incorporate the local beliefs and the religions. So they kept Brahma, but they kind of made Brahma, uh, how to say, Brahma was a guy uh, kind of working for Buddha. He was uh, not exactly the, the god of the whole universe. He was just a, a god. Uh, who, one of uh, many. A one of uh, because countless. Because India was a right. polytheistic society countless back then. gods, right. And still is. Right. Now when Buddhism came to China, they had the Tao. What is the Tao? The Tao cannot be named. Is it God? No. Is it not God? We don't say. What is the Tao? Don't even call it the Tao. But it is this. And we are that. And that's enough. So in India, the Buddha sidestepped the issue of Brahma. In China, they spoke about the the Tao that can be named. And now we come to America and Europe. And there are certain people who are deeply committed Christians and Jews. And they want to practice Zen and Buddhism. Can they? I think yes. If you want to say that the Tao or the universe is God, sure, go ahead. And if you want to say it's not, you can still practice. What's the problem? No problem. Well, the problem is that some people, if they have rigid belief systems, don't want to leave room for anything to conflict with that belief and in in some ways they might feel insecure in their beliefs and that another system is threatening them that's exactly what it is insecurity the people who get all hot and bothered about this are insecure and rigid and they can't think outside the box fellow came to me if he's christian he goes there's only jesus and you believe in buddha you're going to hell and 
when I say was, you know, I don't really care. If there's Jesus, I sit Zen. If there's no Jesus, I sit Zen. I don't really... No, no, no. If you do not believe that Jesus is the only way, you're going to go right to the fires of hell. And I usually look at the guy and he needs to cling to this belief. But you know, it's exactly the same on the Buddhist side. You would think that Buddhists, people who converted to Buddhism especially, would be very open-minded. No, I got orthodox, radically orthodox Jewish relatives who are more open-minded than some Buddhists. You know? Uh, some of the Buddhists I've met say, it is written that you cannot believe in a God who is eternal. And therefore you cannot believe in... But I say, first off, some Christians don't bother to say whether God is eternal or not eternal. We drop time from mind. Eternal, not eternal, those are human measures, you know. Measures of time, the calendar and the clock. Drop it from mind. No, 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 no. Christian God is eternal, and you cannot believe in an eternal God. Well, I say, we believe in an in eternal Buddha, you know, in some of the books. It says Buddha was eternal. But if you look closely, again, it doesn't mean eternal, not eternal. We forget about time. There's cognitive dissonance. No matter what you say, you cannot reason with these people. A lot of this is metaphor as well. These are stories that were created to make you understand something it's not necessarily exactly what happened and on top of that i think we've talked a couple of episodes ago about the historicity of the different uh, buddhist sutras right that were written hundreds and even thousands of years after the death of the buddha right um jesus didn't write anything in the bible so what we're dealing with is a number of layers of of elders of a religion adding on their own beliefs and interpretations to get sure. to where we are. Sure. You, you know, call it symbol. Call it myth. Call it putting into words something that the human mind cannot put into words. And you want to call it Jesus. You want to call it eternal. It's just words and labels. But to some people on both sides, on the Buddhist side or on the Christian side or the Jewish side, it's in the good book, therefore it's in English, plain English, it's true. Because Jesus spoke in English, we all know that. Absolutely, and you know, and he was a, a good Jew, Christian Jew, <laughs> Buddhist. I don't know what he was, but whatever he was, don't take it so literally. But people do it on the Buddhist side too. I call them Buddha, uh, sutra thumpers. Sutra thumpers, that's a good one. Yeah, I did a, I did a video a few years ago where I put on my... I am preaching to you that if you do not believe in the Lotus Sutra, you will burn in hell. Send uh, $20 right now, and I will send you a copy of my autographed copy of the Lotus Sutra right to you, guaranteed to bring you all the wealth you want. But anyway, there are these people on all sides of the equation, and they're all closed-minded, if you ask me. Well, just looking at Christians, I... I grew up in a Jewish neighborhood, but I don't know much about Judaism, which you do, Mr. Cohen. But if you look at Christianity, there is Catholics, there are Protestants, there are Quakers and Unitarians, right. um, people with a very divergent set of views. And once I was actually looking into this um, to try and understand a little bit about theology, and the actual theologians of the Catholic Church have vastly different ideas. 
than what individuals have about sure. these sort of things. You know, we, we say it's a cliche, but there are people for whom there is a God up in heavens with a long white beard. Sure. Um, no theologian of any level of thinking actually considers that to be true. And there are Christians of every different flavor and Jews of a thousand and one different flavors. There are Jews, for example, who don't consider me Jewish or culturally Jewish because my family was too liberal for their taste. But it's exactly the same in Buddhism that we have people who believe that the Buddha is a man in the sky with a white beard. Well, he didn't have a white beard, but he had, you know, the curly hair and he had lights emanating from between his eyes and take it literally. But not all Buddhists believe the same thing. If you're open to the fact that this just represents the truth, it doesn't matter the symbols. But don't tell that to people who are committed to one rigid belief. So uh, the good thing about the Buddhists is we tend not to be nonviolent. So we don't blow things up or start wars about this too much. But boy, people get just as impassioned if you challenge their version of Buddha because their version of Buddha is right. If you read or listen to the Dalai Lama, he's often said things similar to what you have. Does that mean that the Tibetans have more of an open viewpoint than Zen practitioners? Or is it that the Dalai Lama is a particularly cosmopolitan person? I, I can't comment because uh, it's a little bit out of my bailiwick. I don't practice Tibetan Buddhism. I get the feeling that it depends on the Tibetan Buddhist too. A lot of times people will say that only Tibetan beliefs are right. Other times they'll say, well, I'm open to truth, but secretly they think, and you know, that means the Tibetans are right because they're <laughs> Tibetans. And there are a few people who are open and say that it's these are just all labels and uh, they're all different paths. I like to say different paths on one mountain, the same Buddha mountain, you know. Uh, there are paths that lead off a cliff or into the poison ivy. Avoid those. There are good paths and bad paths. There are paths that lead in circles, but it's all the same mountain. Many good paths. This sort of attitude also comes out when people start worrying about the idea of meditation and even what we call mindfulness meditation, yes. which is sort of a secular version of, of Zen sitting or, or Indian Buddhist meditation, yes. uh, that they see this as... Evil. Well, in fact, you even said a few episodes ago they see this as a sort of a Trojan horse bringing Buddhist ideas into schools, for example. I can, you know, I can understand how people would feel that way. And actually, I kind of... I think they're right. Religion, I would not want, for example, my child to go to a public school and be told to pray to Jesus. So if someone feels that this is really a Trojan horse of Buddhism, is it really that they're wrong? I can't say that. Now, my daughter actually goes to a Buddhist school here. So it's a religious school. It was a kindergarten, but it was a religious school. So they had, every once in a while, a Buddhist service, right? But it was a Shingon service. I'm a Zen Buddhist. It was a Shingon Buddhist service. So, you know, they were a little off from what I believe, but I look the other way. But if it's, <laughs> if it's in the public school or a workplace or uh, some kind of uh, government facility, I don't want to bring 
religion into it from any side. But what if we're just talking about meditation as the concept of, air quotes, mindfulness meditation, which does not have the religious trappings? You can't uh, say that the meditation perhaps. in and of itself is religious. You know, it's like yoga became just kind of stretching and lost a lot of the, the Hindu beliefs that go with it. So maybe if you had a little yoga in school, you could say the same thing. If you stripped down really meditation just to relax, just to be kind of relaxation, yeah, I can understand what you're saying. But if I was a Christian parent, I, again, I, I'm going to say I don't think they're completely wrong. So can people who have this sort of attitude, can they not practice any kind of meditation, yoga, or any type of activity like that? Is there no way that we can filter out the baggage? I think that there are types of mindfulness meditation that really strip away the Buddhist message. But when you do that, that's a subject for another show, by the way. But when you do that, you kind of get such a watered-down mindfulness that it's just a relaxation technique. And... I think you're throwing out the baby Buddha with the bathwater there. But that's a, a subject for another time. Okay, so let's go into the here and now for a lot of people. What do you do if, if people in your workplace, your friends and family, they don't agree with the fact that you're practicing Zen? First off, it depends who it is. If it's your mother, I believe, first off, always make your mother happy. <laughs> I don't care if you were raised in a Catholic household or a Jewish household and she wants you to go to church with her and sing the carols and even she wants to know that you're feeling good, pray to Jesus, do me a favor. Whatever you're feeling in your heart, just do what makes your mom happy. Go to church with mom, even pray in your heart. You can keep in the Buddhist spirit if you wish. But mom raised you, the poor woman, make her happy. But... Okay, what about your Uncle Fred, who's just a jerk? Or uh, the people... Or people you work with. The people you work with. Listen politely, smile. If they criticize you, just say, uh-huh, uh-huh, I see. And a kind of bow in your heart and move on. First off, it's in your workplace. If it's your workplace, this should not be part of anyone's workplace. The Christian people should not be proselytizing you and you shouldn't be trying to convince other people to become Buddhist, you know. But if you want to put on your desk, on your own desk, a little crucifix, a little statue of Buddha, that I think is fine. Don't rub it in other people's faces, and they should not do the, that to you. That's all. That's very idealistic, and you know that that's not the way things work out. Well, I think it uh, should work out in most companies. And uh, if you go to human resources and you say, please, you know, someone's hitting me up because uh, they, they, they want me uh, to go to church with them all the time, uh, it's a kind of uh, harassment. And uh, if you speak to HR, they will speak to the person and say, you know, you should stop. Ideally, in, in most companies, I, I can't say that is true in every workplace. But if you're in a place like you work in a, a factory or an office and the other people are vehemently trying to convince you to become Christian, smile, nod, and go your own way. And you want to know something? Just be a good person. That's what it all comes down to, isn't That's it? That's what it all comes down to. If everyone was just a good person, we wouldn't have any of these problems. Right. Don't try to convince your Uncle Harry that Buddhism is right. You don't need to do that. Maybe all religions are right. Maybe all religions are a little wrong, you know. Be a good person, and that will convince Uncle Harry 
more than anything. I've known people, for example, who were, uh, had serious drug problems, right? And they found either Buddhism or Christianity, and it straightened them out, helped straighten them out, right? That's all the testimony you need. It, it helped this person get their life straight. So if, in my case, for example, my mother finally saw that Buddhism was having a good effect on me. I, I didn't have a drug problem, but I was kind of a confused young man, okay? She saw I calmed down, I straightened out, my life got direction, and maybe this med meditation had something to it. You know something? In her last year and a, and a half, she was sitting Zazen with me. This was a woman, you know, who would, would never have done anything like that. But she said, you know, hey, it looks like a good thing. Let me try that. And we were sitting together. There was an article in The Guardian today, and I sent you a link via email this morning. And it yeah. was about someone who was a freelance journalist. And he got to the point where he had worked hard and work wasn't going anymore and he was unhappy. Yeah. And his wife suggested that he try meditation. I'll, I'll link to the article. What really surprised me is that he talks about it took a couple of years and he says as my mental outlook improved my real world results changed too and then there's a paragraph job offers started to come my way and before <laughs> long i found my career back on track and my confidence along with it financially things improved and my social skills began to return my <laughs> life turned around almost completely is yeah. meditation magic can, can i get more work if i sit more often you know this is a, a joke I, I actually was writing a little tongue in cheek book about this. It's one of the books that's on the list of books to write. And it's called uh, Zen will give you everything you want, but there's a catch. You have to want what you get. Mm. It will give you exactly the health you want if you want the health you have. Of course, meditation and practice has a good effect on your health. Relaxing, but you're going to get sick someday. Zen doesn't say that it's the way to cure every disease, but it can make you content in your illness. It'll even give you the amount of money you want, the house you want, and the wife or, or husband you want if you are content in your house as a home, you are content with the amount of wealth that life hands you, and you learn to live with the person you live with then, yes, all your wishes will come true. What's interesting is this article paints a purely secular picture of meditation. The person doesn't say it was Vipassana, Zen meditation, yeah. um, and people often do. He's just saying following his breathing, and job offers started to come his way. Well, if you send me $20 for the Lotus <laughs> Sutra, I will promise you it will have a wonderful effects on your bank account and your sex life, too. I must say, you're selling that awfully cheap, Jundo. It should be at least 50 bucks for an autographed Lotus suit. 200 oh, Well, that's getting <laughs> a little bit too expensive. Well, yeah, you get what you pay for. Yes, you do. Yes. And I guess that's a pretty Zen statement, isn't it? You get what you pay for. The best things are free, and you get nothing in life. We promise you nothing, but you get everything. Now, that sounds... Very mysterious, but if you're content with what life hands you, you have everything. If it sounds too good to be true, they say, then it must be too good to be true. Ah, but we just accept that life is true. Okay, where do we go from here, Roshi? I have no idea! 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating. Tell your friends. You can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. And if you want Jundo to answer your questions, send us an email at podcast at zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.